You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with us we have Shuk Odenibo. He is the co-founder of the Poison and the Apple. Shuk is a black fraggle Albertan from Calgary. He is passionate about the interactions between health, culture and the environment. This has inspired him to pursue a PhD in medical geography at the University of Ottawa. After completing his master's degree in environmental health at the School of Public Health at the University of Montreal, Shuk was ranked amongst the top 30 change-making Albertans under 30 by the Alberta Council for Global Cooperation, the top 10 young Franco-Albertan leaders by Radio Canada, and the top 25 environmentalists under 25 in Canada by Starfish for three years. Shuk was MEC's ambassador for the outdoors and is an alumni of the First Ocean Brigade cohort, a group of young Canadians leading ocean health and literacy projects across Canada. Hey, Shuk. How are you, Shuk? Hey, that made me sound really pompous. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, no worries. (laughs) So would you like to add uh, anything else about yourself? (laughs) Oh, I also enjoy tea and long walks in parks. Sounds amazing. For all our listeners out there, uh, in case you didn't know, uh, Shuk and us, we were um, colleagues working for the same company during our Canadian years. (laughs) It's been some time since then, but... Memories yes, never... remember how we got completely lost and walked for, what was it, four hours <laughs> to yeah. find the metro station? <laughs> Searching for the bus. Yes. <laughs> uh, you you got to love construction time in, in, in Montreal. <laughs> it was a great day. Luckily, the weather was good, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, we got to exercise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's jump right into it. So... Would you like to share with us the biggest leadership success story you've w- witnessed personally? Oh, this is always a tough question for me because I've been very lucky in my life to have witnessed a lot of really great leaders and lo- learned from a lot of really great leaders. And then there's also the leaders that you see at an international level and you're like, wow, they're doing such a great job. Or they're doing terribly, depending on who it is. Um, <laughs> So I think for this question, I'm going to reference a time when I was a lot younger. So this is before you and I met. This is before Mnemonic, before Montreal. Um, When I was living in Calgary, I spent a year working as the Director of Sustainability and Operations for Club Monaco, which is a clothing brand. And... Um, I had this really wonderful regional manager who was very, very good at her job, like excellent at her job. And so I'm in this sort of new position, new role. And when it comes to the environment, when it comes to sustainability, I'm very good at that. But when it comes to managing people, especially like part-time minimum wage staff who don't necessarily care about the job and are there for the money, that I was not as good at <laughs> It's a little bit hard, and I've always been the kind of person who I work really well with self-motivated people, but I don't know how to motivate people. So it was very much like if I saw staff people not doing what they were supposed to do, I'd be like, just go home. I'd, I'd rather not have to fix up your mess. I'd rather do your job for you and not pay you, so go home. <laughs> and so she one day came to me and was like, Chuck, a lot of people leave the ships crying when they work with you. <laughs> <laughs> 
crying. <laughs> crying. I was like, I just said, go home. You're useless. I don't need you. Go. <laughs> so they did care about their jobs. <laughs> Apparently. And so she was like, so I watched her work for one day because I was like, you know what? Show me what you do because I clearly don't know how to motivate these people. And so like a staff member wasn't doing a great job. And so she was like, hey, Chuck, take care of this job for me. I'm going to go out for coffee with this staff member who's not doing a good job. I'm like, okay. And so she goes out for a half hour coffee, comes back, and this staff member is like on point, smiling, radiating, running around, doing everything she needs to do, like 10 times better with so much energy. And she was like, yeah, she just needs someone to listen to her. And I'm like, oh. And so then I kind of learned from her that even if someone's not necessarily motivated by the job they're doing, they can be motivated by the team they're working with. And if they feel comfortable in the space, you have to come, you have to come with the assumption that everyone wants to do the best job that they can do. And if they are not doing the best job, then there's something stopping them from doing the best job. And as a leader, it's your job to find out what is it that's hindering them from doing what they can do. And, you know, sort of, supporting them in the best way you can. And so from that moment onward, I then started trying to get to know my staff a bit more on a personal level. So someone not be doing their job and rather than just being like, go home, I don't need you. I'd be like, hey, are you doing okay? What's wrong? Tell me about it. You know, they'd be like, oh, I know, school was really hard today. I failed a test. My boyfriend broke up with me, something. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, like really sort of sympathizing, you empathize. And they feel like they listen to, they feel like they're cared for. They feel like it's not just a job, but it's like a quote unquote family. And then they give more energy because they, you know, talking about your problems is very therapeutic. So they just even talking, even if I don't have any advice or anything to offer and they're back on it and they're more, you know, engaged and they're more present. And it's, um, so I think it really taught me a lot of soft skills that I'm very grateful to have learned. Because I feel like there's certain skills you can only learn in certain environments. And so, um, you know, with jobs like the ones that we, we, where we met with uh, Mnemonic or with other kinds of jobs, you know, they're hiring professionals, they're hiring specialists, they're hiring full-time people. This is their livelihood, this is their job, this is their passion. But in the jobs that like retail and clothing stores and those kind of things where they hire part-time people, where it's just a way to make money, but it's not that person's passion or that person's desire or interest. I think that's where true um, leadership comes in. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Treadstone jobs. Yes, and it's important to, to support your people and show them support. And it's not just support them in the, in the job and what they're doing, if you can. And if it's possible, also support them in their, in their passions outside of work, uh, in, in their life, what's happening, and show them how, okay, maybe how, how can you, by working here, can have like a better life and see them align them somehow. Align their uh, personal goal, goals with the company goals. Yeah, Absolutely. I guess that making people feel like they matter will make them feel that their work matters. Exactly, which is really interesting because a lot of times we don't realize that. A lot of times I think we think, okay, work from eight to five and then personal life. You don't bring personal life to work. You know, there's that mentality, never bring your personal life to work. But 
when you bring your personal life to work, because your personal life, no matter what, will always affect your work. You know, if you're going through a divorce and then yes. you're, going, you're in the office, it's, you know, it's <laughs> there's a maximum to how much you can hide that. But feeling supported and feeling like your coworkers aren't judging you and feeling that your boss is someone you can turn to to say, hey, I'm having a hard time. I wouldn't be as good today as I am normally. I think that speaks volumes. And um, it's, it's a lesson I'm really glad I learned very quickly because I've seen people that are higher up that uh, don't know this lesson. And they've made some very unnecessary mistakes. And on yeah. that note, would you like to go on with the biggest leadership fail you've had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. This is always a tougher one because I'm like, hmm, who am I throwing under the bus today? <laughs> we have only tough questions. Only tough questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, biggest leadership fail that I have seen in my personal life. Uh, 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 um, ooh. trying to pick one that is a nice, good, succinct story that kind of it's fully encompassing. Okay. Hmm. Can we skip and come back to this? Um. Yeah. I'll. Uh, we will go through uh, the other questions and come back to this. So. Give you a little more time, buffering time. <laughs> okay, so uh, what would be um, a top three leadership tips that you have for aspiring leaders? Oh, I think for aspiring leaders, the biggest thing that's really important is a really good balance of self-confidence and self-awareness. Because I think um, when you're an aspiring leader, especially when you're a young leader, it's very hard to be taken seriously sometimes. And it's very hard to um, show yourself as a leader. And so you need to have the self-confidence to be like, no, listen to me. I know what I'm doing. But you also need to be self-aware rather than cocky, right? Like not make, like listen to other people's experience, listen to other people's advice to make good decisions and know where your weaknesses are. So I personally, for example know that I'm really great with project management. I'm really great with setting out a task. I'm really great with ensuring that the deadlines. I'm really great ensuring that everyone understands what they're supposed to do. Everyone feels good about what they're doing. But where I really fail at is giving constructive criticism in a way that doesn't make someone feel like a terrible person. That's where my weakness really lies. And like constructive criticism is an essential part of leadership. And so normally whenever I pair up with someone to like co-lead the project, I always make sure that the person I'm paired up with is really, really sweet about the way they give criticism so that, Ooh. you know, we pair off nicely. So it's sort of having that self-awareness to know, okay, I'm not good at this and this is where I fall flat, but I am good at this. So how do I fill out these holes to ensure that my team doesn't suffer from my weaknesses? Mm-hmm. So top three qualities I would say are self-confidence, self-awareness, and, oh, what's a good third one? Self-confidence, self-awareness. And then, know, just do your research. You know, you can always learn something new. No one's perfect. So true. Yeah. But it's, it's really interesting how you think about, like, when you're building a team and uh, 
you basically choose like a co-leader that uh, makes you whole, <coughs> covers up your uh, your known uh, pitfalls. Mm. So, and it's if you know them and you're working on on those pitfalls, it's a, it's like a great idea to have somebody uh, while you're working on them to to not create like issues inside the team because mm -hmm. okay, I'm working on this. I, I can try and do it myself sometimes to see my progress, but then uh, when it, when it's crunch time, I can lean on this person to to do it properly, and I can also learn from that experience. It's a Absolutely, great having someone that uh, completes you <laughs> professionally, <laughs> at least. Yeah. It's it's honestly magical. I mean, especially for example, in running a business. <laughs> I always tell my business partner this because it's like to me the funniest thing. So my business partner is female and she has a long-term boyfriend. But I'm always like, me and you are linked legally. You and your boyfriend are not like legally. So <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite thing. <laughs> um, summing that up, what would you consider to be your uh, your leadership philosophy? Ooh. I think I have a mix between like a laissez-faire and a um, uh, a hands-on leadership. So I I'm very very particular about picking my team. Like unless I'm assigned a team, I always am very careful about who I pick for my team because my favorite thing ever is you know when you're a leader, you're delegating tasks, you're ensuring that everyone's on board with the project, everyone yes. feels ownership in the project. My favorite thing ever is when someone says, I'll take that on, you forget about the task. You don't need to follow up. You don't need to look behind. You know they've taken care of it. And you know they've done it to the best of their ability. And you trust them. And so you move on. That is invaluable. Absolutely invaluable. Because like, there's nothing more, to me personally, there's nothing more annoying than having to follow up and having to be like, so is that done? How is that done? Make sure you send it to me before it's like it goes out, just so I can make sure that it's done well. Like I don't like that. That's if at that point I'm already doing your job, so why do I have you? You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's very much like I like to let people. I like to believe that I've selected experts in the field. You know, I like to believe expect. I've I've selected people who are passionate about what they do and are the best at what they do, and I leave them to do what they do. Um, and if I do not trust that they're good at what they do, then I shouldn't have picked them for the team. I always keep reminding people, if you have hire professionals, okay, you have to expect that they are professionals. And unless they gave you reason to believe that they are not professional or are acting unprofessional, just let them do their thing. Yeah. Okay, they're not, uh, they're not children. Exactly. If not, it's like asking them, like, take half of brain, brain, throw it out. Let me put my half of brain inside you. <laughs> it's it's not a good situation. No, it's and, not. And you pick them, so uh, it's a learning experience. Even if you pick wrong, you get to pick again. Absolutely. I think that's also like a really key point. Is um, it's a learning experience. <coughs> So even if you pick wrong and you make a mistake, it's recognizing what was wrong with the person you picked. Like I have a habit of going for passion. So like if I talk to someone, they're really, really passionate. I'll be like, okay, they're going to be great. And sometimes they're not. And sometimes I realize, oh, that person's passion was like temporary. Like, you know, some people have like, like some people are like, are very steady with their motivation. Other people are like up and down. 
And so I like somebody picked someone who's very up and down. And when we chatted, they were very up. And then <laughs> at some point they got down and I was like, what is happening? Mm, um, so get them part-time. <laughs> get them part-time. Are you up? But, yes, coming to work. Are you down? Stay at home. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I think, um, you know, knowing what to look for. And you learn what to look through, for through trial and error because you'll find some people that are really phenomenal with the original criteria set out. And there's some people who have that original criteria, but they have some shortcomings that you didn't see coming. And so then next time around, you now know kind of the shortcomings to look for that you know don't work well with your team or your working situation. And you go from there. Uh, <coughs> experience is, is a great thing. But on that note, it's not the only way you can learn. So what would be the, the <coughs> book that had the most profound impact on you? The book, oh, so my mother, when I finished my undergraduate degree, so my first degree, uh, my mother gave me a book as my graduation gift, and it was Backstabbing for Beginners. Backstabbing for Beginners? Backstabbing <laughs> for Beginners. Choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because, so I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, but both my parents work for the United Nations. So they were in a highly politicized environment where they've experienced, you know, a lot of um, a lot of racism, a lot of politics, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of backstabbing, essentially. Backstabbing. Yeah. So, I was worked for the United Nations during, like, right before the Iraqi uh, war, and during um, what the book Backstabbing for Beginners talk about how in the internally what happened in the UN and a lot of the mis- I don't say mistakes, a lot of the sort of political decisions that were a little bit more selfish, a little bit more corrupt that happened within the United Nations um, and how that really sort of negatively impacted the world. And I think it was a very eye-opening book for me because when you finish your undergraduate degree, normally you're young, you're idealistic, you think everyone's great and wonderful. And, yes. and I think it was just a good reminder to me that the world isn't perfect and that I need to make sure that I'm careful. And also that book taught me that um, put everything in writing, everything. Someone was like, hey, and like, if you're in the office, someone's like, oh, hey, do you want to, do you mind helping me doing this? You send an email to be like, hey, just to clarify, you said I should help you do this, right? In an email, writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That everything has a paper trail. Because people can be very backstabby. And it's, in Canada especially, uh, I think this is the case for a lot of like, polite countries. Like if you're in a country where the culture is very polite, people don't feel comfortable being overtly aggressive or overtly negative in front of you, which requires a lot of backstabbing. And so in Canada, we're very nice, we're very kind, we're very like welcoming, open people. But the downside is like, if you, if you are not nice, welcoming, open for any reason, you have to hide it. It's not culturally viewed upon well to like be negative. Like there's, there was literally an entire article written about like immigrants who don't open the door for people if, um, when they're like walking behind, you know, like how like if you're if you're entering a building, you open the door for the yes. next. Person. Yeah, yeah. If you're like not from a country where that happens, and you're in Canada and you don't do that, Canadians get really upset. We're like, wow, 
what a rude person. That was incredibly mm-hmm. horrible. There's like an entire article written on it. Like, we need to teach immigrants how to be polite. <laughs> 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 It's like well, I really felt the pressure of politeness when I was in Canada. So it's it's a very intense pressure, and while for most of the time it's fine, it's like it does mean that if something is negative, you're more likely to go behind someone's back to try and deal with it rather than be direct and confront. You know, Americans are very direct and confrontational. The French are very direct and confrontational. Canadians we we go around the back. So I think it was a very sort of important read for me because it allowed me to learn some things that I would have learned anyway through experience, but by avoiding those experiences. Yeah. But no, the issues when you, when you enforce a a certain behavior and you expect that other people act the same just because you were forced to act uh, that way. Not so much that you believe in it, but if it was painful for you, it should be painful for everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and, and now that you had some time to do some buffering and uh, load up a leadership failure story, do you have anything yeah, to for a us? leadership failure story. Okay. So I think for me the most interesting leadership failure story. Oh, I'm throwing people under the bus. Please don't sue me. You don't yes, have to. You don't have one. to use names. Yeah. Um, but I think it was just. Okay, so in this certain workplace, um, there was a leader who I'm pretty sure has never worked for anyone in this in their life, and so they were just they were just a company owner who had never been under someone quote unquote, and it was evident yes. in the way they spoke to people. It was evident in the way they treated people, um, thinking that money was the sole motivator for people's work. And I think this person forgot that while money is a large motivator for white people go to work, everyone by law pays. (laughs) The money is good, but everything else is bad. Someone's just going to look for a place where the money is good and other things are good too. And so this person had a high turnover rate for what is, what should be a very stable company. And it's not retail, not, you know, something where things are constantly changing and you these seasons and cycles. It's a very stable, like, company model, yet very high turnover rate. Um, and, yeah, so this person just, it just, it was not, it was not a healthy work environment. And they made a lot of mistakes that would be, that would come from a strong sense of ignorance and a strong sense of, um, of egocentrism. Mm-hmm. I think egocentrism, you know, very likely because egocentrism is when you think the world revolves around you. Yes. Yeah. Forgetting that other, like when people come into the workplace, they have other things in their mind. I mean, they've obviously got their job on their mind as well, but they've got other things in their mind. And so sometimes not everything is about you, but thinking that everything is about you. So um, yeah, it was just a very it was very interesting to witness. Um, it was very interesting to go through. I remember I had lunch with this person once, like it was a one-on-one lunch uh, because I was the only person yes. who volunteered to go for this lunch because I thought this person was paying 
We're having like a one-on-one discussion. And this person starts telling me about their travels in Africa because they've never experienced poverty. So they wanted to go to experience what, you know, how poor people live. And so they were going to travel to Africa. And I was so incredibly disgusted by that story. Yeah, there's plenty of poverty in Canada also. There's poverty in Canada also, but then also everywhere. Like, everywhere. Who, who travels to a country not to express the culture, not to express the language, not to sightsee? No, they want to see poor people. Like, how oh, disgusting is that? And then, like, how does one person think that that is an appropriate conversation to have with someone of African descent? Like, <laughs> these, like I don't know why he chose you to tell that one. Was he right? trying to impress you? He was trying to impress oh, how me. sensitive he is. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was trying to be like, oh, look at how worldly I am. And I'm like, that's eh, not worldly. Privileged. And at this point, remember, I'm this person's employee, right? So there's a maximum to how direct I can be with this person, but I'm also just kind of like, who's really? <laughs> this is really the conversation you want to have. Oh my um, god. <laughs> so it's it's one of, and then and then here's the worst thing. After that conversation he decided to bring up politics. And I feel like if you're in a position of power, you should never bring up a conversation of politics with someone who is quote unquote under you because they can't yeah. express their opinion fully or they're scared of expressing their opinion because what if their political opinion is different from yours? How will that impact? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially if you're if you're passionate about it, uh, you're free. Like maybe he, when when it comes to evaluating my work and giving me a raise, it's not going to be based on what I'm doing. It's based on my views, which are not the same of, as my boss, as my uh, employer. Oh, hundred percent. And so I'm just there, like this innocent, like okay, what's going on? And we chat about like the queen, and you know, I'm a monarchist. So Canada is a constitutional monarchy. Uh, we have mm -hmm. a queen. We share the queen of the UK. Yes, <laughs> but you do. Because when she's in Canada, she's the queen of Canada. She's not the queen of the UK. When she's in the UK, we're like, okay, fine. She's the queen of the UK there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like one person, two jobs. Different, different yeah, jobs. No. Um, but, you know, I don't mind having a monarchy. I kind of like the way our political system is set up because we have the queen who has no political power in Canada, so she can't do anything, but she's a figurehead. And we've got our governor general, who is the head of our armed forces, and uh, represents the queen, and she, or he, really focuses on sort of the cultural aspect of Canada. And then we've got, you know, a prime minister who focuses on the political aspect of Canada, running the country, all of that stuff. And the governor general has the power to fire the prime minister. Whoa. And the queen has the power to get rid of the governor general. Um, and then, mm. how does this work? And then, the, but the prime minister selects the governor general, and the queen appoints who the prime minister selects. So it's a very sort of like interwoven system, yeah. which makes it Checks very difficult balances. for Canada to have a dictator. So I'm a huge fan yeah. of that system. I mentioned this to this person because they brought it up. And they go on this rant about like, am I a racist? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the queen, it's some like the queen, like it's a very in elitist system because you know, having a royal and then having normal people, it's like, oh, imbalance and da 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 da. And I'm like, are you really calling 
a black person, a racist, after you <laughs> went to Africa for your poverty porn. And just, <laughs> That's because what exactly what you're like all oh, the elitism when you grew up in like this rich fancy neighborhood and your daddy paid money for you to buy the company that you currently have right now. Anyway, oh, point being, oh poor God. leadership, high turnover rate of this company. I think for a surprisingly long time, but that's because I got to work from home, so I didn't get to see this person. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh something that um, I recommend. Like every leader should go and work, even if you want to start your company. First, go two, three years, work for other people, learn from the experience, see what's wrong. Um, it's a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. And then you will have another view about how, how to be a leader because you will get a lot of learning through negative uh, <laughs> experiences. experiences. Or even positive experiences. I think you're 100% right. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's so important to have those experiences because I've had really not great bosses, but I've also had really wonderful bosses. And so yeah. I try and emulate the bosses that are really wonderful because I'm like, what did they do? that made me feel so positive and made me feel so good, made me feel so valued so that I can like sort of pass it on to other people. I had one boss who one day told me that he created this company. This was a good boss. He, told, he created this company and um, in such a way that he wanted everyone who interacted with this company to be better for it. So he wanted all the employees to be better and happier because they work for the company. He wants all the clients to be better and happy because they chose the company to hire. He wants the cleaning staff to be happier. He wants any contractors they bring on to be like, wow, I'm glad I took that opportunity with this company. He wants the company to be a net positive force, not even just like in the large global sense of like, oh, here's what we're doing and here's how we're saving the world, but like in the small sense of like, every individual who interacts with the company, it's important for him that they have a really positive experience at whatever level they are, whether it's employee, whether it's client, whether it's subcontractor, whether it's hired staff. And that's really stuck with me. I feel like I want anyone who interacts with me, anyone who hires me, anyone who hires a company I'm running to be really, really sort of glad that I entered their life, you know what I mean? I don't want to be someone's like, oh no, why did I ever meet him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, okay, Shuk, and if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, lots of places. Start by Googling me because there's lots of links. Uh, I love people who connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a message first. Don't just like add me and then say nothing. Those are creepy. But then you must be like, hey, <laughs> want to connect for these reasons. And I'll be so happy to connect for those reasons. <laughs> um, and follow me on Instagram at Royal Chooks. Because, you know, got to get those follower yeah. accounts up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, connect with me. However... <laughs> I'll put all your um, social media accounts links in the show notes so people can reach out and connect to you. Yeah, it's been great talking with you, Shuk. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, 
You can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.